Here's Neymar now. Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. So welcome along to part two of our Paris Saint-Germain podcast with me, Matt Spiro, with uh, Robbie Thompson, with David Crossman, and with the former PSG defender Didier Domi. Uh, we, we're going to start uh, this section with, uh, with Didier giving us a few of his thoughts, a few of his memories of, of what was the golden era, really, the first golden era, even though PSG did win that title that David Crossman uh, says was perhaps the forgotten title, the first one of 1986. But the 90s was was an incredible time for Paris Saint-Germain, um, the title win in 1994. But probably the, uh, the pinnacle, Didier, was the 1996 European Cup winners' cup win um, over Rapid Vienna in, in, in Brussels. You were um, just uh, breaking into the first-team squad at, at that time. What are your memories um, of, of, of PSG's big European triumph? Uh, it was incredible, the, the, the atmosphere, first of all, in the... In the stadium, I remember, you know, going with the academy. I was behind the the goal where Bruno and Gotti scored a, uh, scored the free kick, and um, it was a kind of a achievement, you know, for a, a such a, a young club uh, uh, like us, you know, to win a, a European Cup. So, so to see, you know, even a one nil, you know, it uh, it was sufficient for us. You know, it's uh, we entered the history. So. Um, it, 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 it was an incredible uh, uh, feeling just to, to be there in the stadium and uh, not with the team, but with all the fans, you know, and, uh, and to make history like, uh, like this. And the Cup Winners' Cup, people maybe don't realise that the younger listeners out there, it was uh, an incredibly difficult competition to win. I always, just because I was an Arsenal fan and Arsenal playing the Cup Winners' Cup, I always said, oh, it was, it was even harder than, than the European Cup, because these are all the best cup teams. And this is basically a cup competition. But, you know, there, 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 there were some phenomenal matches. And Robbie, I mean, you know, French clubs have only ever won two European competitions. You know, sadly, we're hoping to add to that tally. Marseille in 93, the, the European Cup, Paris um, in, in, in 96. I mean, you know, in terms of an achievement and what it means for the football club, uh, you know, it's one of the events, isn't it? Absolutely. It's one of the, the, the most fondly remembered parts of, of the club history. I think, especially now, today, when the club has such a thirst for, for European glory and for international recognition, to look back and to know that that Cup Winners' Cup is there. And while the final against Rapid Vienna, Rapid Vienna might not be one of the great names, this is a different period of, of, of European football as well, where every country had strong teams. It wasn't just the, the, the 10 biggest teams in Europe like it is today that play the Champions League every time. We're talking there were, there were strong teams in Belgium, there were very strong teams in the Netherlands, in Eastern Europe, Austria, Germany. Everyone had strong, strong football teams because you were only allowed thir- three foreigners. So the biggest team from any country had the best, was nearly a national team. So, so that, that uh, rapid Vienna side was a very good side. But before that, there were there were matches against Deportivo La Coruña, uh, Parma, fantastic teams with the Stoichkovs and, and these guys playing, playing through the Deportivo side, uh, fantastic European sides. And it's all part of the, the, the European flavour, of course, it's looked back fondly. Uh, Didier, uh, it was also an achievement that, that cemented Luis Fernandez's name in, in, in PSG folklore. He was 
the captain, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was captain of the 86 winning uh, title winning team, a wonderfully charismatic France midfielder who then came back. And, you know, he, he had this passion for Paris Saint-Germain and uh, the supporters recognised that. Um, an incredible character, an incredible personality. What was he like for you, um, a young man coming in? He was the coach who, who handed you your, your debut. Yeah, Lu- Luis was uh, quite a, a character, you know, always, um, always laughing. Um, but at the same time, you know, serious. He was, uh, he was enjoying, you know... Um, football you could feel Lewis when you talk to him in training he's very active you know he's got that passion you know inside him and uh, and he represents Paris Saint-Germain you know and uh, we, we found out uh, after you know he was um, you know the first when they launched the academy you know he was a uh, he was with the with the guy he was there then he was captain in 86 he won the uh, the, the cup winners cup so it's part of history of Paris Saint-Germain so Lewis um, Lewis has always been someone, you know, very um, uh, important for me because he was the one, you know, who sent me the, 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 the first time. Then he was always um, behind me. And, uh, and um, you know, even on the pitch, you know, you could see him when he was playing in the, in the 80s, you know, he was, was all the time behind you. He was, uh, this is Luis Fernandez, you know, as we know him. But Didier, was he already sucking lollipops at the time? And was he dancing in particular when, when PSG beat Marseille? Or did that come in, in, in the second spell? <laughs> no, no, he came on the, on the second spell. Is, uh, Louis has always been uh, very passionate. So uh, he is like this. There's one moment in the game where he feel the, the atmosphere, his team, or, or he can see something happen. You know, he will, uh, he will turn off, you know, and... Uh, and his character, you know, will uh, will come up. So he's a, he, he's like this on the pitch, outside, uh, out of the pitch, and uh, and um, I think you know it's quite fair, you know, that Louis was the the coach of Paris Saint Germain, winning a European Cup. You know, is a he, he's got so many histories that with that club, so many moments that he, uh, he, he spent. So. Uh, uh, I think the the the, the fate, the destiny, made things good. You know, to to make him on the, to put him on the bench in the, in '96. Yeah, I'd like to talk about Luis Fernandez actually because I think I have a very different view of him to a lot of people because I moved to Paris in the summer of 2000, and we mentioned at the end of part one the Projet Bonlieu, Anelka rejoined the club at, at great expense. Stefan Dalmat joined from Marseille. Luc San came in. Sylvain Distan was there. Uh, they already had Laurent Robert, who was amazing to watch in the first half of the 2000-2001 season and I've got a lot of nostalgia for that team because they scored goals for fun they were overloaded with attacking players they scored 17 in the first seven games were flying away battered Rosenborg 7-2 in the Champions League but then things started to fall apart and Philippe Bergerie was replaced Luis Fernandez came back for his second spell as coach and then the next year Ronaldinho came in and as someone who played in that team, Didier, I'd be really interested to know what you make of Ronaldinho, the player and the man, but also Luis Fernandez's tactics. Because I used to pay for my tickets to go to the Parc de France at that time. Like you become a sports journalist because you want to get into football and get paid for it. But I was paying for my tickets and I stopped paying for my tickets because I was fed up of going to the Parc de France, seeing Ronaldinho sometimes playing on his own up front and the ball just being launched over his head and back to goal, Ronaldinho trying to jump to win these headers. I thought, 
what is going on? Does Lewis not realise that if he plays they, a, they, a big they, striker, then Ronaldinho's got a chance of doing something? Were they long balls from Didier? Or, or, no, or Didier was much more cultured than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were long balls from Didier, yes. <laughs> um, I think this is a period where, uh, of course, we should have done a lot, lot better, you know, considering all the players we had, the quality, you know, when you're, you're thinking about Ronnie, but uh, don't forget about Okocha and Ali Benabia was there. So um, offensively, we were quite uh, uh, strong, but even on the European side, you know, we could have, uh, we could have won uh, against any team. And um, um, of course, you know, sometimes, you know, the coach is responsible, you know, for the atmosphere, for the, the emotional balance of the, of the team day by day. And it's not easy, you know, to mix um, after those Pochettino, those experienced player and the, and the young player. And um, I think overall, everybody should, uh, should have done better. Luis, the players, the, the chemistry that we should have uh, had. And because um, I think, you know, Laurent Perper and all uh, La Marche at that time, you know, was director, you know, they, they put everything to have one of the best teams not in France, but in Europe, when you, when you look at the, at the name, you know, they brought back Sylvain Distin, Laurent Robert, as you say, David was there. So it was uh, one of the biggest disappointments in my life, you know, because there were so many Parisians as well, you know, that kind of uh, identity with Nicolas and Elke and, uh, and the others. Even if some people like Peter Luxon were coming from, uh, from Marseille or Bordeaux, you know, they, they fit in very, very well and. Uh, um, you know, to have uh, Ronaldinho, he became world champion in Paris Saint-Germain, in South Korea. Uh, you know, the, 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 the kind of quality we should have done much, much better. What was he like and what was his sort of influence at, at the football club? I mean, Ronaldinho, we saw more than a few glimpses. We saw some incredible f- performances with, with Paris Saint-Germain, but he had this difficult relationship with Luis Fernandez, and at times... Uh, Luis Fernandez even left uh, Ronnie on the bench. Um, by all accounts, he didn't feel that Ronaldinho was perhaps being professional enough or preparing well enough. Um, what was it like? And, and were you Parisians brought in to, to also to help show Ronnie the best nightclubs in, in Paris because you obviously had the local knowledge? Or I'm being a bit cheeky there, but no. What was Ronaldinho? What 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 was it like at that time with Ronnie? Uh, first of all, the, the the first day we've seen him, you know, he. He wasn't able to, to, to play, I remember. So uh, for, for, for three or five months, uh, three, four, five months, you know, he didn't play. Um, but you could feel, you know, the joy of Ronnie. The, the first uh, a day we met him, we knew uh, that Ronnie would be a good person for the, for the team, first of all. But we didn't realize how good it was <laughs> at the start because there wasn't internet. Uh, nobody knew, you know, except a couple of uh, of image, you know, in a, in a, in Porto Alegre, and um, as well, you know, when he started to play in the in the little Toro, in the little games, uh, we kind of knew, you know, it was a, a real gem that uh, that we had, and he showed it uh, uh, after. Um, unfortunately. Um, uh, we would have liked, you know, to have a Ronnie like we. We, uh, we have it in, uh, in, in Brazil, but uh, it was the, the way we were playing, you know, the, the atmosphere in the team, you know, was not the best. So 
unfortunately, we didn't have the best of running except in a game like uh, against Marseille. You're listening to Didier Domi on Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast. Didier Domi played for Paris Saint-Germain uh, between 1994 and 98, came back for a second spell between 2001 and 2003, a former Newcastle and uh, Leeds United player. We do welcome your, your feedback. Our email is league1podcast at gmail.com. You can rate us on all the podcast platforms, Spotify, Deezer, Google and, uh, and Apple. Just looking at that period uh, again, Didier, you came back for your for your second spell. You played with Ronaldinho. Um, Nicola Anelka um, also uh, came back for a, for a second spell. I think it was two hundred twenty million francs, which uh, which was an awful lot of money um, at, at that time. And he was he returned in two thousand, and he was the head um, of this sort of banlieue project, the, the the suburb project where PSG decided they wanted to rebuild this team around. Local lads. We talked about Peter Luxans, Sylvain Distin, uh, Stefan Dalmat. Um, ultimately, it failed, uh, and I'm not saying that was because of an Elka or because of because of all these, you know, other very talented footballers. Why do you think it it, it didn't work? Because, you know, looking at it from from a distance, uh, these are top quality footballers. You know, an Elka had been at Arsenal. He'd been at Real Madrid. Um, he should have come in and just and just bossed things, shouldn't he? At, at Paris Saint Germain. Why do you think the project didn't take off? First of all, it's not, uh, and you know, it's not because you had that kind of player that you're going to have a, um, a, a good team first. You know, we, we needed time, you know, to, uh, to get that chemistry in, uh, in the team, uh, to have them the, best, um, the best 11. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you uh, when you have Benarbia or Coach and Anelka and Ronnie, how you make all those kind of players play together? It's not easy, you know, when you, when you want to do a defensive play, it's, it's really quick, it's really easy, but to build a team who will play good football, it's not easy. And uh, as you said earlier, you know, about some period of Paris Saint-Germain, sometimes, you know, you can be impatient because you know you have uh, international quality players, and, uh, but you need time, like Ancelotti need time, like some kind of uh, uh, coaches need time. And, uh, and sometimes people doesn't realize that the, the, to, to click a team to um, to have the best combination in needs time you need two three four five months sometimes you know it's not because you 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 have those kind of player that it will uh, it will uh, work first now it's time for you the listeners to get involved it's time for deja who where you have to uh, to guess which former league arm player we are talking about last week's clue was I played for five European teams, finishing my career at PSG. When I retired, I had the most silverware of any footballer ever. I am one of the few defenders not afraid of Zlatan. Now, we had one guess from Luke Edwards, Thiago Motta. Not quite right, Luke, but thank you for your very kind words about Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast. Um, correct answers came in from JC Griggs, Liam Wraith, Adam Cyrilnik, and James Wascombe, the correct answer was Maxwell, of course. Now, moving on to this week's clue. If you think you have the answer, you can uh, get in touch using the hashtag DejaHool1 on Twitter or via email, league1podcast at gmail.com. So, here we go. My career in France started at Cannes. I played with Fabien Barthez, Zinedine Zidane and Didier Deschamps during my career in France, England and Italy. 
I quite literally had a checkered international career. Tough one, that, from uh, producer Ian. If you think you know the answer, get in touch using the hashtag DejaHooL1 or via email. The special dedicated email address for Le Bourgeois is league1podcast at gmail.com. Robbie and Dave, you were regulars at, at, at the Park Day Prance in the noughties. And uh, actually, after that period, we had some quite dark years at, at, at Paris Saint-Germain. There was the odd cup run, the, the odd success, but often the team was in, was in mid-table. Um, the atmosphere at the Parc des Princes was often noisy, but not often, not always totally safe. Robbie, what, what, what memories do you have of that, of that period? Well, I, like Dave, arrived in, in 2000 in Paris. And I remember I, the first thing I wanted to do was go to the Parc des Princes. And, and I went to the, the shop on the Champs-Élysées. It's the only place I knew where I could try and buy a ticket. You used to walk upstairs and there was a little ticket office upstairs in the shop on the Champs-Élysées. And I, and I didn't speak French, and I tried to buy a ticket. And I said, I'd like a ticket um, behind the goal here. And the guy there said, uh, I can't sell you a ticket there. And it was in the Boulogne end. And I said, uh, what do you mean? It's only 20 francs? It was 20 francs for a, for a ticket in the Boulogne end. Um, and I didn't have any money, any more money to, to go anywhere else. I couldn't spend the, the, the 150 francs to, to be on the side. And I said, but why won't you sell me a ticket? There, there are no tickets in Otoy. It was sold out at the Boulogne end. There were, there were tickets available and they were cheap. And the guy said, but you, uh, and then he said, because you're, you're a foreigner. And I said, but, but I, I won't talk. I'll just keep my mouth shut. And it was, he would really, and in the end, the guy sold me a ticket to the game, but he felt bad for me because it was already the Boulogne end had this bad reputation of having hooligan elements and if you were a foreigner it was not considered a safe place to to go and watch a football match anyway i got uh, the ticket and the atmosphere was just unbelievable i'd never seen anything it was mental the the flares the color the flags the singing for 90 minutes between boulogne at one end otoy at the other end and i got a season ticket the next day and I got into my season ticket in Boulogne. It cost 250 francs or, or two, 290 francs for, for a season ticket. It was nothing. And, and it, was, it was just the greatest three years in this dangerous section, or so it was called, so-called dangerous section. I, I ended up getting my, my girlfriend a, a ticket. We'd go together and we'd sit by ourselves. We wouldn't go and, you know, but... And this is so this is between 2000 and 2004 and towards the end. So we didn't have much success. We had some fantastic games. I was there at the Rosenborg, the, the big win in the Champions League, some, some fantastic victories. Um, we had a period where we beat Marseille. I was there when Ronnie scored twice at the park uh, against Marseille in a 3-0 victory. Some incredible moments. But towards the end, it just started turning a little bit sour and basically and this was lost on me as a foreigner sitting in the in the stands there was a, a battle for power in the within the stadium in the politics of the supporters and you had this element in Boulogne which is where I was and another big element in Otoy up the other end and basically these two ends of the ground started fighting each other and it was it was quite surreal they took their supporterism so seriously and to be the 
the powerful element in the stadium that it it all became it all turned sour basically and in the end there was there was one supporter who was shot by the police after a after a match against Hapoel Tel Aviv where we lost to them and then two years later three years later um before a match against Marseille that it all came to a head in 2010 and you had a, a supporter was beaten to death outside the stadium and that was the whole club just went into shock I think the the plan le prou Robin le prou was the president there and he managed to cleanse the part de prince really and it was necessary and very very sad because like you Robbie I I was overwhelmed by the atmosphere at the part de prince when I first went along um I thought you were a bit flash going to the boutique on the Champs-Élysées I used to buy my tickets from the brasserie au Toiseau Bus near the part de prince I used to always go in there they had a ticket machine you go and buy your coffee and go and buy your ticket for the Champions League game against AC Milan terrific but yeah, like you, I, I watched my first game in the Boulogne end because it was cheap and I was young and had no money. And I remember showing my ticket to the steward. And already by this stage in England, you had a ticket for a Premier League game. You went and sat in the seat that was on your ticket. There, he just said to me, I, I think you're best off just going up the back. So that's what I did. I went up to the back, the very back row on the end seat so I could see everything that was going on. And there was nothing going on behind me because there, there was a little bit of an undercurrent there. This but the excitement was huge because under the floodlights, the part of the Prince is like nowhere else. The concrete bowl retains the noise, the two ends shouting at each other, chanting at each other, just phenomenal atmosphere. And, and it was a real shame that those steps had to be taken and they really did have to be taken mm. with the Plan Le Prou. And it took a long time for that sort of ultra-led fan excitement to return to the part de Prince. Yeah, Dave, I'm just going to very quickly give, give, give my anecdote back in 2003. I don't know if Didier, did you play in the cup final PSG Oxair 2003? Uh, no, I was injured. I didn't play that, uh, that final. Oh, okay. Well, you probably were quite lucky. It was an awful game. I, 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 my, wife, my, well, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she had just dumped me. And um, I still had tickets for her and myself to go to the game. So she said, okay, I'll come along. Um, but we didn't really talk to each other. And we were sitting behind the goal. And yeah, we were with the PSG fans. And it was a horrible atmosphere, actually, because there was this rivalry between the fans. And actually, PSG fans were fighting each other in sections around us. And then in the last 10 minutes or so, they let off all these flares. And I couldn't see anything. And then suddenly, the whole Auxerre end jumped up. Dibriel Cissé had scored. And, um, and, and Auxerre won the cup. So it was, <laughs> I have to admit, it, it went down as you know, one, of, one of my most miserable football memories. But luckily, my girlfriend did take me back. And she is now my wife. And we've got two kids. So that's a nice story. Um, but, but, but Didier, just before we bring in Guillaume Waro, uh, who we've interviewed, what, what, what was it like for, for the PSG players? Because, okay, you finished in 2004 with PSG, but there were times where it wasn't great on the pitch, but the atmosphere was among the best in Europe. I mean, it must have been incredible to play in that stadium. Yes, yes. It's, it's, a, it's a special stadium for us, the, the Parc des Princes. You know, it's kind of closed, you know, the atmosphere stayed in a in a stadium and then you have the fans, of course, Boulogne, Yotel. Um, you could feel, you know, all the people, you know, very proud, you know, to be to be Parisian. So it's a it's a special stadium with a special atmosphere. Yeah. And um, most of uh, of players, you know, when they come, um, they didn't expect that. You know, the first of all the the beauty of the stadium inside, you know, the shape of the stadium and then the uh, 
the atmosphere, you know. I remember, you know, PK saying, you know, when he played the first time in a in a, in Parc des Princes, he was quite impressed, you know, and a lot, a lot of people. So, yes, yes, it was uh, quite impressive, yeah. Well, uh, Guillaume Waro, the former PSG striker who uh, has spoken to, to Robbie this week, um, he joined the club in 2008. He was uh, a regular for most of his five seasons at the club, but he was there at that very difficult time where there was tension in the stands. Um, and he was there when there was the uh, the tragic event outside the Parc des Princes when a Paris Saint-Germain supporter was killed in uh, in 2010. And Guillaume Moreau talked to Robbie about about what it was like for the, for the players during that time because they were obviously aware of everything that was going on. Everybody was talking about this, and we just say, guys, we have to stay focused on on, on the pitch because we have uh, like goals to to reach, and we need our supporters. But then after when when the, the president Le Prou at this time decide to 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 put the new rule and and to to block the um, the cop that was a wow like a bound so mm. the park yeah park he, he France, dissolved all the supporter yeah, clubs didn't yeah. he there were no more fans yeah, no yeah, more yeah, ultras exactly yeah. yeah and since then paris atmosphere never been the same than before so mm. For us, it was like hard, you know, because uh, we, we need that. But when you just look back of what happened this night, there was Paris Marseille. Mm. This guy died. We all have family in the yeah in the crowd. My sister, my both sister was living in Paris. They 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 took metro to come to the game. So when I've heard about what's happened outside, I was just not like wow. I cannot focus on my game if I'm not sure that my sister is like in a good, it's, it's safe. Uh, so that's why when, when they did that, after it was very hard because you have to build everything from, from zero. And, and when you remove our supporters, it's like we fight without guns. So that was, that, that was very difficult at the beginning. But then after they find some solution and it was more or less good, but the pack is not the park like it used to be before. So that's why I'm happy because I knew how it was before and mm. I can tell you that was crazy. So uh, very interesting from uh, from Guillaume Moiro. And after 2010, there was, as Dave mentioned, the Plan Le Preu. Robin Le Preu was the president of the club who decided they had to dissolve the all, all fan groups. So there were no more ultras at the Parc des Princes and the, uh, the atmosphere changed considerably. It was far more sanitized. There wasn't as much noise, not as much color. Uh, Maxwell, uh, the Brazilian left back, has also been talking to Robbie this week. He played um, at the club from January 2012. And he admits that he was somewhat taken aback when they had their title celebrations in 2013 and the, uh, the, the, the open-top bus paraded through, through Paris. And suddenly Maxwell saw these absolute hordes of hugely passionate Paris Saint-Germain supporters. So let's hear from Maxwell. That was the first time that I, that I saw that Paris was um, a club that was, they were thirst, they, they, the fans, they were thirsty to, to win something. They had mm. this, this dream of winning the title. They were, I think they were behind in some years and for the first time they, they, they exploded in happiness of winning the championship. Um, I think we we were uh, completely surprised about the reaction. Uh, it was very nice to ce- celebrate in uh, in uh, in, fr- in front of the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. But 
things got got a little bit uh, dangerous, and we we went back to Parc de Prince and and we could never celebrate in the city anymore. So we, this was a pity as well because we wanted to be close with the fans, and we could never celebrate in the city anymore. And this was something that we regret. But anyway, I think it was for us the first moment that we saw that the fans, they, they had this, they explode in happiness of winning something that they were waiting for. We had this stadium that was supporting us, but we didn't mm -hmm. know, especially us, the guys that were here, were so, so short time in the club, mm -hmm. we didn't know the effect of the ultras in the, in the, in the team. And we, we had this first, first contact during the celebration. And uh, of course, later in the years, they came back to Parc des Princes and, and we have this atmosphere that today, uh, we were talking here before about the game against Dortmund and mm -hmm. we see the ultras and the fans around the, the Parc des Princes was, even here in Brazil, I had the chicken skin and, uh, and thinking how special it is for the fans to, to win things that are important for the club and how they enjoy it with the, with the team. So was the first contact that we had with the ultras and it was just a pity because of course a lot of stores they were broken and things were mm, yeah. a little bit too much but um i think um we could never celebrate a title in the city again yeah incredible stuff really that maxwell's saying effectively uh, it was only then when he saw all the ultras who had who had gathered that he realized they had this passionate following and sadly um there were disturbances and uh, paris Saint-Germain since then haven't been able to, to celebrate their trophies in the, uh, in the city, um, which is a shame. But on a positive note, the Qataris have worked hard with the supporter groups to, to, to relaunch the whole ultra movement. And uh, I think it's since 2016, the ultras have been allowed to gather once again. And it, it's maybe not what it was 10 years ago, Robbie, but we do have once again, um, you know, a, a very noisy atmosphere at the Parc des Princes. Absolutely. The atmosphere is great once again. It's only, it's just starting to come back in Boulogne, but the Otoy end has, uh, has new supporter groups. The old names from the 80s and 90s have gone, but there are new fans there. And the atmosphere is, is fantastic. And I think that, that Liverpool saw it, Celtic saw it, um, clubs all over Europe have seen in the travelling support in the Champions League that Paris Saint-Germain do have fantastic supporters. Didier, we look at Paris Saint-Germain today. They're in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Of course, we don't know if these quarterfinals are going to be played. We hope, well, I hope they can be played. Um, it was interesting to see them beat Dortmund behind closed doors with those supporters outside the, uh, the, the stadium. How do you look at the Paris Saint-Germain team today, coached by Thomas Tuchel? Do you feel they're, they're closer to, to reaching the ultimate goal, which is conquering Europe? Um, yes, they are closer. Closer, why? Because um, especially against Dortmund, you know, in the, in, in the Parc des Princes, even if it was behind closed doors, you know, I liked the, the mentality of the, of the team, you know, because whatever talents you have, you know, it's a uh, uh, Champions League. It's all about, uh, you know, team spirit, intensity, and then come the talents, you know. And when I've seen that, especially... Uh, Neymar, you know, when I see it like this, you know, running all around, you know, being a leader and, and a technical leader as well. Um, yes, with a strong defense, you know, Navas, Marquis and, uh, and Kimpembe, I say, yeah, when I see this kind of Paris Saint-Germain, we are closer uh, uh, for the semi-final and to, 
to, to be a rival of Barcelona and all the big teams in Europe. Yeah. And when you see uh, Neymar, like you say, giving so much in that game without supporters and then at the end breaking down and, and, and crying. I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, been the star of, of Brazil at a home World Cup. You know, he knows what pressure is about, but there clearly is an enormous pressure, isn't there, on, on Paris Saint-Germain because so much these days rides on what happens in the knockout stages of the, uh, of the Champions League. You know, do you, do, you, do you feel that that, you know, that that has hindered Paris Saint-Germain, has made it, has made it even harder for them um, just because, yeah, so, you know, they're winning the league quite easily. And then when it comes to playing Real Madrid or, or Borussia Dortmund, you know, it's, it's, it's suddenly so intense, isn't it? Yes, that's why I liked, you know, when Leo came on, you know, on TV and just relaxed a little bit, the atmosphere. It's, um, um, it's too much pressure on this team. It's a, it's a football, okay, you have to be concentrated, determination, but at the same time, uh, we look for a certain, uh, you know, coolness, you know, that's how you approach, you know, the, the big games. In Paris, there is like uh, uh, negative emotions all the time, and it's not good, you know. When I look at, uh, at Gigi Buffon last year and some, uh, s- some other players, this is a, a negative emotion, and this is not good, you know. And that's why Leo did a great thing. Say, okay, if we lose, no problem. You know, the, the most important is to grow up uh, every year to, to step up the level, you know, in, the, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of determination, in terms of chemistry in the team, in terms of, uh, of discipline, you know. It, once you, you, you see that, uh, that uh, evolution, you know Paris is on the, good, uh, on the good way. And when Leo left, I didn't feel, you know, we were on, the, on that good way. Now being come back, Leo, I think we could do great things. Why? Because he could put the organization and we have the talents as well. When you have those two things, you can, uh, you can go further. And I think now, you know, we have it because with everything happened, you know, Neymar can't go to Barcelona anymore. So I feel him more involved, you know, in the project of Paris Saint-Germain now. And this is a very good thing because you need talent. You, need, you need, really need talent. And you need an organization and a mentality. And I think now we're starting to get back again. I think we lost quite two, three years, you know, when we, we lost against Madrid and, uh, and don't remember who. Because we proved, you know, we could beat anybody. Anybody can beat us, but we could beat anybody in any day with that team and with that period. So the, the, that's good. You know, Leo is building a, a very strong team. He's very, very intelligent, you know, where he has to, to do his recruitment. So I'm very happy. It was a real mental block, as you say, Didier, because Paris Saint-Germain, the Champions League, well, it was, it was getting as repetitive as my days in Paris in lockdown. The, the same thing was just happening time after time. And I know Robbie and myself were both in the new Camp for the remontada game, the 6-1 game, and that was just shocking. I know there was some dodgy refereeing in there, but at 3-1 after Cavani scores, there's no way they should go out in that game. Kevin Trapp had an abysmal match. Thiago Silva was practically defending from the six-yard box. Adrian Rabiot, I didn't see him run or make a tackle the whole match. It was just bewildering. And, and that was the best game that Neymar had played, actually, in a European tie featuring Paris Saint-Germain, I think, until very recently. Um, but I do think things have changed, and I'm really pleased to see that. No, no, David, I, I, I just want to let you continue. It's just to tell you something. It's... Um, um, it's not because I'm a, I'm a fan of Paris Saint-Germain, but um, everybody is talking about Romontada and, uh, and, uh, and that was hard that day. But uh, 
I just feel as a young club like us, um, you, you, you need, unfortunately, you need things like this, you know, to, uh, to grow up, you know. You need to take those kind of defects, you know, as Barcelona, as Man United, and um, to realize what is the high level, what is the Champions League, and to not repeat the same mistake, you know. People will say, okay, Manchester United, we had already Barcelona, we lost. No, until, you know, we get like a, um, a cure, you know, we, until we understand what is the, the, the real Champions League level, we need those kind of, uh, of defects. It's, it's, it's hard to say, but uh, it's, it's like this, because we are a young club. You know, when you see Real Madrid, Barcelona, don't worry about them. You know, they, 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 they won a lot, but they lost a lot. And believe me, those 5 nil, those 6 nil. Those... So I think we, as a club, you know, it's not a good thing to, 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 to lose like this, this one but it will be a good thing for the future for me. It is very tricky. And Paris Saint-Germain have not been lucky with their draws at times in the Champions League. But there are certain games they really should have won. I mean, Barcelona, they weren't favourites going into that tie, but they should have won that tie. The Manchester City game under Laurent Blanc. Manchester City were a real low point, And that ended up costing Laurent Blanc his job going out to Manchester City. Manchester United last year, another one that they really should have been able to get through. But yeah, I agree. They they need to progress and they need that culture of playing in the Champions League and knowing what it takes to perform to the highest level. And sometimes the big players just don't perform on the biggest stage. It happened to Contenar at Manchester United, never really did it in Europe. Zlatan, for all the great things that I think of Zlatan, he really struggled in the Champions League for Paris Saint-Germain when it came to the knockout matches. He was bullying teams in the group stage. I saw him score a fabulous goal at Anderlecht, I remember, and an incredible display there. But when it came to the knockout games and you wanted Zlatan to turn up and win the match for Paris Saint-Germain, sadly it didn't happen. But Dave, I wonder as well if the Qatari owners are sort of learning, you know, this is obviously their first experience at uh, owning a big European football club. And at the start, they said, we want to win the Champions League within five years. And they've been quite trigger happy in terms of the, uh, the coaches as well. And uh, now Didier says maybe they lost a couple of years. They got Leonardo back. But that's part of the process as well. It's part of the learning process. Um, Robbie had a you know, fascinating chat with Maxwell, who's, who's lived it all um, you know, as, a, as a left back at Paris Saint-Germain and then uh, as part of the, uh, the backroom team as well. Um, and Maxwell had some interesting stuff to say about, yeah, about Par- Paris Saint-Germain's challenge of, of trying to, uh, to win this, uh, this Champions League. What I was trying to... To do when I stopped food, when I stopped my career and went to the to the administration side, let's say like this, mm-hmm. I was trying to, of course, to give some experience to them, and everybody was caring a little bit. But, but we changing teams, and uh, this is not easy. Changing managers, and this is not easy to give them stability, changing the direction as well. Mm-hmm. So we we had a lot of things going around that was not giving the stability probably. And I think something that went really, that is not easy to handle in Paris because we talk about a team that is different from a club that is different, different from a lot of clubs. That is the ambition of winning the Champions League. Is, is, it became uh, some obsession. Mm. And um, you go around Paris, everything, everybody talks in August that this year we're gonna, we are going to win the, champion, the Champions League. It comes... Maybe we passed through the first uh, the group stage, and everybody's wow, the team is so 
it's still December, and the, everybody's talking about this year we're going to win the championship. In a club that has stability, nobody talks about it because mm. everybody knows that has a lot of work to be done until arriving uh, until the final or semi-final. So this this ambition it became also some obsession, and this doesn't help the players, doesn't help the atmosphere on the players, and of course a lot of things changed. So I think what I was trying to do when I stopped football was to make it players feel comfortable. To perform in the best way they could, and um, it's not easy around Paris, but mm-hmm. that that was that what I was trying to to do. Maxwell, and just quickly, very briefly, say thank you to Max, thank you to Guillaume and Mordechai, who were all more than happy, and Didier as well, who's with us, of course. But those three guys were were more than happy and generous with their time to give us interviews, and and it's interesting to see how much they all love PSG as well. They still love Paris Saint-Germain and talking about it. So. Just a, a personal thank you to the three of them. Max, talking about stability, I spent a lot of time with Max during his time at, at Paris because he's such a nice guy and we spoke in English all the time. Um, when he talks about stability, and I think he experienced this at another level with Brazil in the World Cup as well, playing at home in Brazil. Max is a consummate professional who just wants to concentrate on his football. And when he says stability, he's talking about the whole environment around the football club including the the journalists including the the family the people the fans everyone and what max it's so important i think to maxwell how what he believes when he's talking about we need stability if you want to win big things is you don't talk about trying to win the champions league you don't make one competition bigger than the other the work is done day after day on the training pitch with your coach with the people around you improving every day, every day, and getting to the point where it will just happen naturally. It's not a thing saying, we've arrived, this year is our year to win the Champions League because the expectation grows on one side and you can't do it because every other club is trying to do the same thing. We know the example of Chelsea who had big money who tried to to come in and it took them over a decade to win the Champions League. If there was a communication error, it was by Paris Saint-Germain right at the start when they said, we have a five-year plan to win the Champions League. That was naive at the time. But stability is the whole idea of creating an impenetrable bubble for you to progress, to get better every day. And ultimately, winning the Champions League will just happen by itself. And Robbie, what, what I found interesting listening to your chat with Maxwell as, uh, as well was you, you, you were alluding to the fact that the minimum expectation now is to win the league. And he was saying, well, it shouldn't be like that because winning the league is always a big achievement and having to you know play football every three days and get yourselves up and win every, every league match do you think Didier that us journalists we're, we're we're a bit we're a bit guilty of of creating this this pressure for for Paris Saint-Germain because you know they'll lose maybe one league game in 10 and we'll, we'll all be talking about problems within the within the group or that Thomas Tuchel needs to make changes or make big decisions is it partly is it part, partly the media Sort of creating this expectation. No, the the, the majors they they're, they're doing their job. It's um it's not the problem. It's the problem. It's after the the, the fans and the supporters because they they listen to the media a lot uh, now and uh, sometimes they can't understand. You know how much time you need uh, to build a team, to build the spirit, to build a a, a playoff game and. Uh, and, uh, and and it's not like that, and it's it, you realize that when you're inside the club, 
every day, day by day. You know, when you work, you you have to uh, to create a, a combination and a, and a state of mind. And uh, if you if you're not into the team, if you didn't, uh, how do you say? Um, experience the high level football or any high level sport you can't understand but um you know the media they're doing their job it's not a problem the pressure is not a problem it's how it uh, it can affect you know the um the people around you the fans and uh, this is the, the 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 real problem but apart from that no no we you, we get used to the to the pressure i think um Paris Saint-Germain and all the time that I've been here, of course, they're under a microscope that probably is only matched in France by Marseille, that so much is written and talked about those two clubs. And I remember in the mid-noughties, I think it was, there was an obsession about finding La Taupe, the mole in the dressing room. And anytime things go badly at Paris Saint-Germain, that whole thing resurfaces. And I did worry that that almost paranoid culture was ingrained at the club. And even now, I do think things have improved a lot, but Paris Saint-Germain can still show, let's say, a, a tetchy side when put under pressure. And we've seen this with Thomas Tuchel as well, who I think we admire because of his personable ways. I enjoy listening to him talk, but when he's been put under the, under the spotlight more recently, he's reacted in a bit more of an angry way. Uh, and maybe that's a good thing for the players to see their coach showing passion, or, and I don't, Didier can probably explain this better from a player's perspective, or do you think that that's someone losing control as a coach when they can't keep their emotions in check? I, you know, they're human. Don't forget that. But the thing is, when you're a coach in a big club, you have to have the self-confidence, but at the same time, you have to, um, to control the stress, the stress of everybody, the... Uh, it, it's a really tough uh, job, honestly. Those days when I see everything, you know, around them, you know, the media, the staff, the players, the how the 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 thing is going. It's not uh, easy at all. Not easy at all. You know, the, to be a coach, you know, to to control all the elements around you, you have to be really, really, uh, really tough. You know, president, coach, you know, the captains. Um, but at the end of the day, this is part of the job. You know, it's a uh, it's, um, uh, you know, this is Europe. This is uh, one of the best clubs in, uh, in, uh, in Europe now. You have to deal with that. And the first thing you have to deal is the stress. And people that don't realize how much stress, you know, they, they, um, they have. And once you know you can deal with that, now you're becoming a coach who can go uh, really high like Ferguson or, or Arsene Wenger or Ancelotti. But I- I do think that managing PSG is a uniquely difficult job because you've got some of the most valuable football players in the world. We're talking about a couple of guys who are worth 200 million each. Um, you probably you know, don't yet have the strength of the institution that you have at Barcelona or Real Madrid or, or Manchester United. And I agree with Dave. I think Thomas Tuchel has struggled a lot this season and has perhaps given the impression that he isn't totally in control of his, of his dressing room. There have been the incidents on the face of it, which aren't much of Kylian Mbappe complaining when he, when he gets substituted. But I, I, do, I think it's very hard because he has his hand tied behind his back a little bit. If Thomas Tuchel comes out and says, that's a disgrace and I don't want any player, no player's bigger than the club, Neymar can't decide when he wants to train or when he wants to play. You know, 
you, you can't come out and say that because Paris Saint-Germain will be saying, well, hang on, you are devaluing a 200 million euro asset. And, and I, think, I think, you know, we've seen Unai Emery being driven pretty much crazy during his time at Paris Saint-Germain. Um, Thomas Tuchel has been teetering on the brink at times. And I think the victory over Dortmund has obviously bought him a lot more credit and um, he's put, put him in a stronger position. I mean, go back to Didier. Thomas Tuchel, uh, for you, is he, is he, is he the man? Is, is, can he keep control of this team and take them to glory? Um, you know, as a manager, I think you have two things. You know, one is a tactical um, expertise. You know everything on the technical side, and the other side, you have everything around management, as you know. And um, of course, he's learning. He's learning again because he's coming from Borussia Dortmund, and um, there is a league where the pressure is unbelievable. When I'm in the league, I'm in the top club. You know, like Bayern Munich, like Real Madrid, like even Atletico, Paris Saint Germain, Juve. This is another pressure. And that's what I was, uh, I was telling you, you know. He's, uh, he's in the process of learning every situation, every movement, you know, how I should respond, how I should react, you know. And um, if he passes this test, he will become a, a, a great coach. But, uh, of course, sometimes we've seen him a bit nervous. And, um, and he shouldn't, you know. And, uh, but sometimes, you know, he's human, you know. There's no problem. You know, I've seen Ancelotti... Uh, or even remember Trapattoni, you know, being very angry. So even the best coach, you know, is a, um, can react like this. But he's in a, he's in the process of uh, improvement, Tuchel. Uh, but he's a very good coach. Didier Domi, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on on Le Bourgeois uh, for our Paris Saint Germain special. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks to, to David Cross and to, to Robbie Thompson. We've got some more special podcasts to, to keep you um, occupied, if you like, keep you entertained uh, during the summer. We've got a special on Kylian Mbappe coming up. And uh, also, don't worry, Marseille fans, big, a big special on Olympique de Marseille um, as well. Some, uh, some big interviews uh, uh, coming up in those pods. And thank you so much to Guillaume Waro, to Mordechai Spiegler, and to, uh, to Maxwell for your interviews. But uh, from me, Matt Spiro, from uh, Robbie Thompson, David Crossan, and Didier Domi. It's time to, uh, to say goodbye, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ciao, everyone. Bye-bye. Here's Neymar now. Cavani is there. Balotelli on the turn. Quality. Kalupa Kavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty.